Morning. It's good to be with you. As uh, Melissa said, I'm chipping away at, a, at an MTS. The reason I chose to do an MTS was because uh, I did an undergrad in business, and in business I learned some math, and I figured out that 18 was less than 28, so that's, uh, that's how I landed on my MTS. Uh, I know I shouldn't say that out loud, but uh, I am really enjoying it. Uh, it's good to be with you, uh, to be part of, um, of the Advent season and uh, the beginning of Advent here at Tyndale. I, uh, I have a bit of a problem when it comes to Christmas because for years I just, I hated Christmas carols. I don't know whether it was, uh, you know, too many times hearing Santa Baby on the radio or just being offended by the cover of Mariah Carey's Christmas album, but I just was like, you know, I just, I'm just not into uh, Christmas carols. Now, my church has been praying for me. I had some prayer ministry done, so I'm actually, I'm coming around. Uh, but I came across a song a few years ago that kind of grabbed me. Uh, it's sort of a Christmas song. I don't think it'll ever appear on any Christmas album, but I was thinking about it as we were coming into today uh, in a service on hope. And, and it goes like this, heaven on earth, we need it now. Maybe you know, know the song. I'm sick of all of this hanging around. I'm sick of the sorrow. I'm sick of the pain. And I'm sick of hearing again and again that there's going to be peace on earth. Another verse says, Jesus, in the song you wrote, the words are sticking in my throat, peace on earth. You hear it every Christmas time, but hope and history don't rhyme. It's a question, right? And I think it's a question that we're always asking as people living in this world, regardless of your faith background, regardless of your age, your life stage, regardless of your ethnicity, your social class, where you happen to be in life. We're asking these questions about how do we find hope in the midst of suffering? Like, how do we actually deal with the fact that life is hard? And, and maybe even if we would say, well, you know, my life's pretty good, but every one of us could put our hands up today and said, yeah, you know what? There's people in my life, people that I care about, people that I come across who are experiencing hopelessness right now. And how do we deal with the fact that life is difficult? And Christmas maybe just kind of brings this to a head in some ways. I wonder whether um, it's even more of a pressing issue today, given the fact that we are just more aware than ever of the trouble that is in the world. Christmas sometimes brings us together with family that we've lost touch with or we wish we could lose touch with, you know. Christmas is not an easy time for a lot of people. It brings back memories of lost loved ones or it brings back memories of things that we had tried to escape from when we left home. Perhaps this year, more than ever in North America, people are feeling the weight or the pain of just coming out of an election that no matter where you landed, sort of left you feeling less than and perhaps a bit hopeless. And I think as people of God, we're not only having to wrestle with this sort of philosophically, some of you in your classes theologically, but existentially as well, like in my own life, in my own spirit, regardless of what I think about the political or economic conditions of the world around us, regardless of what I might read uh, on my homepage or whatever, how do I deal with this myself? What hope do I have in the midst of pain and suffering? And what do we have as God's people, as the city within a city? as a counterculture within the culture? What hope do we have to give others who are struggling to find it? I'd submit to you that there's a number of ways that we sort of instinctively deal with this. Is this kind of, is that, is that what's making noise? Could I just use this mic? Is that, would that be okay? Okay, how's that? Um, there's, there's various ways that we instinctively deal with it based on our personality, our, our family background, our, just our social conditioning or whatever it is. Some of us are like, well, let's just be positive about it. 
And let's just, you know, every cloud has a silver lining, or maybe we can quote that verse, you know, well, God works all things for the good of those who love him. And the rest of us are like, is that the only verse you know? <laughs> you know, like some of the rest of us who aren't so positive are like, no, no. Like some people say, well, it can't get any worse. And then it does. <laughs> sometimes positivity, you know, it sounds good. It feels good. Sometimes we want to say it to ourselves or each other, but sometimes it just comes up short. Or perhaps there's the people who are just party, you know, like we're here for a good time, not a long time. So have a good time. The sun can't shine every day. We know that song. Trooper. That's good. Right? Let's just forget our sorrows for a while. And maybe Christmas time or Christmas wine, that's what that's about, is let's just kind of numb the pain or get away from that. And, and it's good to, to have times of rest where we don't think about things that are too heavy or whatever. But if we live in that state for very long, we end up becoming addicted, right? Any, any addiction we have in life, whether it's Netflix or alcohol or whatever, is because we're trying to escape from something. And so just be happy or, or just, just have fun doesn't actually work. Sometimes there's just be hangry, right? Curse the darkness, or the stuff that comes out of us when something small happens and someone's like, what's with you? And there's just this low boil within us because we don't really know how to deal with the trouble that we seem to be encountering out there in here. Then there's the just don't care approach, which if I can just kind of turn the taps off emotionally and I'm just going to try to skate through life, maybe some of us, that's how we've dealt with the trouble that we've had in our past or whatever, is just try to not feel it and just try to never too high, never too low. That's the way I roll. And yet what we find is that it leaves us unable to actually connect with other people in their own, in the midst of their own hurt, other pain. And we may have people close to us in life saying, what are you really thinking? What's really going on? And we don't even know how to put it into words because we've turned it off for so long. Or there's the just give up. And maybe some of us say that out loud in regards to our faith or our family or our trouble or whatever. Or maybe we're still showing up, but inside we've given up. We're there, but in here we're gone. I've talked to so many people in my life and my journey as a, in, in working and school and now in pastoral ministry who are struggling with that thing, that, that sense of despair, right? What we call the opposite of, of hope. And so is there a way forward for us and for the people around us, the people into whose lives we believe as Christians, right? We've been sent. Is there a way forward for a community of faith here and the other communities that you identify with? What message of hope, what does this candle represent? as we enter a time in history and a time in your life. I want to give you three things, kind of like a, a trinity of sorts, uh, for how do we begin to deal with this. And they all, in a sense, come from the Christmas story. The first one is this. We, you and I, have to come to grips with the mystery of the manger. Luke writes in his gospel in chapter 2, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But an angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. We know that passage well. Maybe you hear Linus or whoever it is in the Charlie Brown Christmas story reciting it. But there's a mystery in this passage that is introduced, and it was uh, Marshall McLuhan, the 1970s media professor at University of Toronto, who coined the phrase, the medium is the message, which essentially means the way I'm telling you is what I'm telling you. And Dr. Van in our class on Luke a couple weeks ago said this passage, this announcement to the shepherds is Luke's illustration or God's, in fact, that the medium is the message. In other words, what I'm telling you is the way I'm telling it to you. 
I am picking people who are outside of the social order, people who were not even allowed to give testimony in court, the shepherds were. Nobody trusted them. They were glue-sniffing sheep watchers. That's what they did for a living. It was the kind of the lowest thing you did. It was the thing, remember King David, right? He was out in the field. He was the youngest. He was the run to the litter. That was his job, to look after sheep. Nobody wanted to do it. It was dangerous and thankless. They weren't your sheep, but you had to protect them like they were. You were in danger from thieves, wild animals, all this stuff. It wasn't a good job, so nobody wanted it. So the people that nobody wanted got that job. So they weren't trustworthy enough to give witness in court, and yet God says, you're going to be the eyewitnesses to this. It's a mystery that God would actually choose people nobody trusted to be the first ones to say the Savior of the world is coming. But it's not just the shepherds in which we find the ways of God thinking, God, really, this is your plan? Right? We ask him that often. God, really, this is your plan? Luke chapter 2 tells us the shepherds were the ones who wants to be witnesses. People nobody trusts. Okay, you're going to be eyewitnesses. But then here's the sign to you. A king has been born and here's the sign. Go find a baby in a manger. That's the sign? How does that make any sense? We read this story, we're so familiar with it, but we don't understand there was so much mystery in the coming of Christ to the world. There was so much mystery in the sending of God's hope to the world. And I believe as people living in a world that is on the edge of despair, on the edge of hopelessness, we have to begin first by embracing the mystery of the ways God works. He does not work in the ways that I would like him to. And when I'm mad with him, essentially I'm saying, if I was you, right? That's what I'm saying. And yet right away, the the opening of the story of hope, as God sends his son into the world, he sends it in a way that is almost so backwards that we think, really, who on earth is going to believe this? And even if these people are right, who's going to believe them? You know why we need to embrace mystery? Before we even get to what kind of hope we might have in our lives or what kind of hope we might offer to other people, you and I need to embrace the mystery of the ways God's work. Why? Because mystery is the doorway to worship. See, at the door of mystery, many people walk away and say, this is too hard to believe. At the door of mystery, many people get hard in their hearts and saying, I can't understand you, so I'm not going to worship you. And God is always wooing us as his people saying, I know you don't get it. You know, my ways are not your ways. It sounds good in a scripture verse. It's really hard to live with. Yes, God's ways are higher than ours, but we struggle to understand whether they're better than ours. God, it's not the way I would have planned it for my life. It's not the way, are you really at work? And the Christmas story says, yes, he is, but it's an invitation. It is a door of mystery that honest seekers of mystery are invited to walk through into the realm of worship, which is what the shepherds did. See, you and I cannot really worship a God that we fully understand, can fully pin down, can fully explain in all of our theologies and all of our careful understanding of philosophies and all the things we were taught in apologetics for all the good things in it, cannot allow us to pin down a God because ultimately we can say, I got it, I understand you, I can look at you from every angle, I understand your ways, they make so much sense. What you are worshiping is not God, but a figment of your imagination and something that makes you feel good. I believe we have to be people that are comfortable in the realm of mystery, way out into the deep where our feet cannot touch. You know that God is not a cup of water that we can pour and drink and be satisfied by. 
He's not a lake either. You ever hear water skiers or wakeboarders talk about you have to respect the lake? No, but you hear surfers talk about respecting the ocean, don't you? Because they know it can kill them. They know its depths are deeper than they can touch. They know its heights, when it rises up, could crush them in a moment. And yet they're out there in the deep, and it's really where you and I are invited to. The beginning of hope is actually beginning to realize I worship a God I don't fully understand who is actually not like me in so many ways. And that's good news. It's the mystery of the manger, friends. It's the doorway to worship. Secondly, the honesty of the cross. Mary and Joseph take Jesus to the temple, as you know, and they meet a man there who had been waiting for decades to see Israel's salvation, Simeon. And he says this, he blessed them and said to Mary, Jesus' mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many Israel, in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And by the way, Mary, the sword will pierce your own soul too. This guy's a bit of a bummer. <laughs> Jesus' dedication at the temple, right? This child will cause the rising and falling of many in Israel. He will be a sign to be spoken against that will reveal the thoughts of people's hearts. And by the way, Mary, you are going to go through untold grief. Consistently, we find throughout the Gospels, the disciples had this idea of hope that was just, as they say in business, up and to the right. Everything's just going to get better. And Jesus kept saying to them, no, there would be suffering. They didn't want to hear it and they didn't understand it. And finally, Peter said no. And Jesus said, you're talking like Satan. Get behind me. You don't understand. There is a cross to carry. And friends, I actually believe, you know, we're going to celebrate communion later today. This is good news we must grasp. There must be an honesty about us that doesn't so quickly and tritely throw out verses like, oh, don't worry, things will get better in the end. God won't test you beyond what you can bear. Because in some ways that isn't true. We look at the cross and Jesus says there is an honesty that must mark your life that you understand that life is hard and to follow me is actually even harder. I believe if we don't come to grips with the difficulty of life, honesty, not, not failing to, not, not trying to turn away and not look it in the eye and numb the pain by just going from one thing to another or going from one show to another or one drug to another or whatever it is that we actually have to stop long enough to look in the eye and say, you know what, this is hard and I need to be okay with that. And we need to, in the community of faith, be okay with talking about suffering and not just in a philosophical, theological sense, but in our own pain. We have to be comfortable to be able to walk alongside others as well. If we are not honest about a cross to carry, we cannot enter into the hopelessness of others or really be honest about our own. I got a call from a social worker uh, who I just met. I had, didn't even know her, actually. She just said, are you the pastor of such and such a church? I said, yes. She said, well, I, I work in the city with various families. I do grief counseling. I do, and I've got a situation in the city of Vaughan. It's actually right near you. And I actually said to her, oh, it's actually right around the corner from my house. She said, can you come? So I go to visit this family. It's a husband and wife in their mid-40s. She's a little bit older than me. She's stage four cancer, body wasting away. They have two sons and their older son, uh, great athlete, things going so well for him, uh, fell off his motorbike this summer, hit his head, brain injury. And so she's in there trying to help them deal with the brain injury. The, the wife is dealing with stage four cancer and the marriage is just blowing up because there's always been problems. There was more F-bombs than a Tarantino film in that hour that I spent with them. 
And you know what? There's nothing I could have said to them. I don't even know where they're at in their faith. There's all kinds of stuff that's just coming out. There's stuff that's coming out between them. There's nothing I could have said to them to make them feel better. And that wasn't what I was supposed to do in that moment. In fact, I've had situations like that where I've sat there and I walk away. I just start crying after I leave because something in me is so in turmoil. And I believe that is part of our journey with others and ourselves to be honest with the fact that life is hard and as Christians there is a cross to carry and it comes by carrying the burdens of others. Do we truly stop long enough to enter into the pain of others or are we always trying to get them to move on simply because we're annoyed about how they feel or their doubt is casting doubt in our lives or their sense of despair. We're worried we're going to go through the valley of the shadow of death with them. Jesus says, you want to follow me? You better take up your cross. We better learn to be honest. The mystery of a manger, of a God who doesn't do things the way we would want them to do. The heaviness of a cross, the honesty of pain. But the third is essential, and it's actually the place we are able to get into when we have walked to the door of mystery, when we have walked with Christ bearing a cross. And that is the hope of the empty grave. The angel said to Mary, You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. I think this is one of the great truths that truly we have lost sight of in the Christian church. As N.T. Wright said, you know, we spend 40 days to celebrate Lent and one day to celebrate the resurrection. He said, in fact, every day of our lives as the Christians should be a day we proclaim that this is not the end. Heaven is not a place on earth. We, by ourselves, by our own intellect, by our own positive thinking, by our own working towards social justice, all of which is good, we, by ourselves, will never bring about the end. Instead, we light this candle and we say, he came once, he's coming again. We live between his empty grave, and ours. I went to a a memorial, well, it was not really a memorial service, a friend of mine that I went to university with, my age, 41, got diagnosed with cancer and within six months had passed away. He wasn't a believer, not interested in any of that stuff, and so we met at the Steam Whistle Brewery for a memorial. We were there for 10 hours together just friends that I went to school with, and we talked and talked and talked and memories. And, you know, there was comments about, oh, he's there somewhere raising a glass to us and all that kind of stuff. And as we left, a friend of mine was walking with me and she said, Beej, where is he right now? And the answer to that question, by the way, is always, I don't know. But I said to her, I do know this, this life is not all we have. Like, if this is all we have, then today is only a sad day. If this is all we have, if we came from nothing, we're going from nothing, if the bookends of our lives are meaningless, what meaning do we have within it? What does it matter what you do with your life? Because there are too many things unresolved, too many things left unsaid, too many injustices unpunished, unreconciled. If our our hope is only in this life, as the Apostle Paul said, we are the most pitiful people on earth and your faith is useless, just shut the doors. But it's the empty grave that says one day there will be a resolution coming that no one could anticipate. Even though we know it's coming, it'll still blow us away. 
And so we live now with hope, knowing he came once, he will come again, and we are in the middle of his renewing work. And all over the place, we see signs of life breaking in. Mystery leads us first and foremost to worship a God that is not like us and we can't always understand. The cross leads us to be able to enter into the life and the pain of ourselves, to be honest with ourselves and enter into the pain of others. But the hope of the empty grave says, yeah, no matter what I know, this life is not all there is. And God has a resolution coming that will, the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, far outweigh the present troubles. We're going to celebrate communion in a couple of minutes. And the communion table, in a sense, sense represents all of these things. It represents mystery, (laughs) that somehow Christ is present with us as we celebrate his life. It is a mystery of a God who does things that we could never anticipate and not totally understand. It is a mystery that God would come so close that we can touch and feel and taste just like these elements are, and yet experience a transcendence that we could never get to ourselves. It also reminds us of suffering. In this life, Jesus said, you will have trouble. But it is also a reminder of hope that out of death came my life, your life. And so I want to encourage you as you take it today, I just want to pray for you. Wherever you may happen to be, maybe you're you're someone who has lost the ability to worship, lost the sense of mystery. Maybe you're someone who is struggling just to bear up a burden yourself or alongside others. Or maybe you're someone who needs to be reminded that this life is not all there is. So would you bow your heads with me as we pray and then Dr. Pedler is going to lead us in communion. Jesus, we thank you for the season to rehearse again and remember not just something that happened in the past, not just history, but reality that breaks in on us every time we gather in your name, every time we break bread. And so teach us again to be worshipers, to be okay with the fact that, and actually understand that we can't pin you down. And that's what makes you worthy of worship. Teach us to love you and trust you enough to love and trust the ways that aren't our ways. Teach us also, Jesus, through your spirit, how to bear burdens the ones we have and the ones that our loved ones have around us. And today, Lord, light a candle again that we might be able to be people who whisper in the darkness, who light a candle in the midst of pervasive hopelessness to say, there are glimpses and glimmers and clues and hints that a better day is coming. In your name we pray, amen.